listeners, and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast, your digital download of all that's good in the trade union world at this present point in time. With me, Simon Sapper. And me, Becky Wright. And in this programme, by far and away, the most important thing we're going to be dealing with is the Pharmacists Defence Association Union victory over boots in a recognition tussle of the Titans. Listeners, listeners, we don't have the licensing authority or the money to buy the bona fide soundtrack, so you have to do with Becky's improv there. But And I'm sure listeners will agree it's sounds just like the original track just like the just like the real thing i tell you what is what really is the real deal and that is the pharmacist defense association union tussle with boots over recognition for the pharmacists who work in that company and i think without further ado we'll just bring on paul day the lead negotiator uh, for the pharmacist defense association union to tell us all about it well, listeners, Becky and I are delighted to have with us in the studio. Studio. Yeah, come on. That's it. Big it up, Simon. We're in the studio, we're in, listeners. Yeah, we're not in the office at Aslef. Ba- basement office in Aslef. Thanks very much, Aslef, for, ho- for hosting with Paul Day. We love you. Um, yeah. Of the Pharmacist Defence Association Union. You'll remember from about this time last year, we had a chat with Paul about the fantastic work the PDAU were doing, were having to do to displace the Sweetheart Union in Boots. Yeah. Here's the sequel. And I believe it's good news. Yes, yes, very much. Uh, Good morning, both. Good morning, listeners. Um, Yeah, very good news. Um, We went and had a further ballot um, and it all went quite well. So, okay, so Paul, you're our first returning guest. So very exciting there. Well done. Uh, But just take us through. So let's have a little bit of a recap for listeners who might have missed that podcast. And then let's like have a little idea of where how you ended up with the fantastic result that you did sure so uh, you know, i'll speed up i won't go too slow but let me start in 2008 pda union came into being uh, we're only 10 years old as a union 2011 we said how are we going to get recognition for community pharmacy which is the pharmacist on your high street um, when you look at the market about a sixth of all pharmacies are boots The strategy the organisation took was, let's go for the biggest kid in the playground. Let's actually get recognition there and then work our way across the sector. Two reasons. Firstly, by getting recognition in boots, we can directly affect the terms and conditions of the most pharmacists. And they have over 7,000 pharmacists in employment. That's a lot. There's only 58,000 across the UK or thereabouts. So, you know, 12-15%-ish. And secondly, because of that scale... You start to improve terms and conditions in the market leader. We believe that will cascade through the market. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. So we formally applied in 2011. Were persuaded at that time to withdraw our application so that we could have more talks. And Boots in Secret during that period went off and struck a deal with a sweetheart union. We then had various legal battles, which I won't bother you with the details of. Um, But ultimately come to 2018, sorry, 2017... Six pharmacists were the first workers ever to use legislation that's been around approaching 20 years to actually apply to their company and say, we are unhappy with this sweetheart arrangement you've got with this organisation, which didn't have a certificate of independence, and put an application in to remove that. So we went through the process and Boots fought that. We won that ballot. 41% of the workforce supported us and as you'll know the legal threshold is 40 percent yeah a win's a win yeah a win's a win but uh 40 percent and 
you know, as we recording this in, in March 2019, worth remembering, <laughs> on that basis, Brexit wouldn't be happening because it was only 37% of those eligible to vote yeah. voted to leave. So, mm. you know, it's a significant threshold and nobody else has ever tried to do that. So we did that. Um, we then had talks with Boots, as is the correct process, to try and agree a, a voluntary agreement. So you could do that as part of the process. Once you kind of de-recognise the sweetheart union, it's there is something in that that says, right, so guys, absolutely go ahead and try to negotiate. Well, yeah, it. I mean, technically, I mean, we de-recognised the sweetheart union then at 30 seconds past midnight that night, once we got the order, we submitted our application Right, you had recognition. To go it. Yeah, right, and yeah, so the yeah. recognition process says voluntary agreement first. And we were happy to talk to Boots. We had private talks. We had private talks facilitated by ACAS. We didn't end those talks. We would have kept talking, but those talks ended. And so we went back to, to the ballot box. And, it, and it's worth pointing out that, of course, for eight years, every day, the Boots senior management got up and decided not to voluntarily recognise the union that their staff wanted. Yeah. Eight years. So we get to the point... Of the ballot. Um, so you put in a claim, <coughs> you try in the, the, the voluntary route. Yep. I've gone through ACAS uh, for recognition. I, I thought they were really good. ACAS, brilliant. Yeah, yeah really, ACAS. really good. Uh, I was going to say, I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it because they told the employer to just recognise us. Um, uh, just And just as a brief segue, listeners, we'll be talking to Brendan Barber, Barber who's the, the, the chair of ACAS. Very uh, soon. Very soon oh, for this podcast series. Hmm. Back to the PDA and So roots. back to the PDA. So, so you went through that process. How long did that kind of take you, Paul, from the submission of the recognition request through to the point where you knew you were going to have to ballot? So the application by the six pharmacists was in the summer of 2017. Yeah. The ballot for that was in the summer of 2018. Right. Because of process arguing over the bargain unit and all that sort of stuff. So it then took another nine months to get to the end of this ballot period. Now, it could have been five or six months. What happened was, because of the talks we'd had, yeah. we said to the company, we are happy to talk. And you know, we looked him in the eyes and said, we're happy to talk, but based on your previous behaviour, we are not prepared to slow the process down. Yeah. And we'll talk in parallel to the legal process still, yeah. Yeah. but we're not prepared to, to slow the legal process down because of how you've behaved in the past. So we went through, we got to November. Now, Boots, as a company, make a huge amount of their annual profits over the Christmas period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pharmacists are really busy over the Christmas period. So we said to Boots, look, realistically, it's not sensible to have this ballot during Christmas. So let's take five, six, because this was like mid-November, I think. You know, let's take five, six weeks off. Let's do it as soon as Christmas is over early in January. Mm. The company actually said, well, actually, we think January is really busy as well. So let's have it in February. So we said, OK, so we held the ballot in February. So there was a lengthy period of, of, of delay there. But what that meant was, of course, that we were able to apply to the Central Arbitration Committee for a suitable independent person to be appointed, which meant that we had the facility to send communications to every one of the eligible voters, not just our members. Because right. that's the challenge. You can write to your own members. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's reaching, because the company can tell its staff what it wants any day it chooses. Yeah. It's reaching the people who aren't your members. And of yeah. course, you, you've got to get a yes vote and more than 40% of, of the people turning out to vote, haven't you? Absolutely. It's a, it's a double lock. And and did was there any challenge over the bargaining unit the second time round? And was there any differences between the arguing of the bargaining unit from first time to second time. Yeah, I mean, the first time round, the Sweetheart Union and Boots claimed that they their recognition 
which wasn't to recognise pay, was just to so it wasn't to negotiate pay, it was just to negotiate what facilities the union officials got. But they argued that was for every pharmacist in the company, even the managing director, if he was a pharma, he or she was a pharmacist. We said no, no, no. It's people of a sort of you know, yeah, l- lower Great. level than that, mm. but across the piece. So that included head office people. So some of those head office people might not be our core support. Yeah, but they were included when we went. We so when we went back to the central arbitration committee, we said, well, it's the same bargaining unit, isn't it? You've yeah. de-recognised them for that. Yeah, yeah. We come in. The company said, oh no, that's not a bargaining unit that would work or make sense in a business format. We said, but you, you were arguing this a few months ago. I said, oh, yeah, but that was not when they negotiated pay. Now you're talking about negotiating pay. So they excluded the head office people. Right. So it's store-based pharmacists. But, I mean, right. I mean, we care about every single one of our members and every single worker, of course, but you're talking of a couple of hundred out of 7,000. Right, so it okay. Very so slight. it still wasn't yeah. kind of like... The company wanted pre-reg pharmacists who are um, trainee pharmacists in their fifth year of qualification. Right. So not yet pharmacists, but in work, a bit junior doctory. And wanted store managers out, but we argued to keep those in. Right, okay. Okay, so you get to the balloting period, sorted out the problems with the bargaining unit, you get to the ballot, were the company fair-minded? Did they back off, or did they kind of um, intervene in a mischievous way? (laughs) Well, That's a nice way of putting it. We probably started the communication because what we did was we sent 7,000 pharmacists, courtesy of the suitable independent person, a Happy New Year's card. So we started the the, the the Christmas period off with that, started communicating, we sent others. It turned out that we had big concerns about this last time. There was real data quality issues, again, with I the address that. information. Yeah, I remember that. Now, the company then, because again we raised it, the company then sorted out the uh, address information. There was something like 500 addresses that were updated just as the ballot papers were about to go out. Wow. Of course, that meant that our earlier Happy New Year's card and other correspondence won't have reached those people. But hang on a bit. So let's just take a step back. So there's an employer, right, that employs people in a regulated profession, and it doesn't know where 500 of them live. Yeah. The process in the company is Mm. you can't update your own address on the kind of HR system. You have to get your manager to update your address. So you have to say, I've changed my address. Yeah. You're looking perplexed at me. I'm perplexed by how you treat professionals or anyone like this, you know. Yeah, I'm like, um, in today's world, is you can log on and change or you can just... Cut. Yeah, but I mean... I mean yeah, but imagine if we put in a ballot for industrial action and we didn't know where... Well, just, just, just in terms of like quality, you know... Uh, Good governance, good management. It's just yeah. Anyway, but, but it, there is there is um. a, there is a wider point though about that, which is that if we put a ballot out for industrial action, and five hundred people weren't balloted, an employer would take a union to and task the court, over and that, the court would probably grant and the, the court injunction. would grant with the injunction. Yeah, quite. Right. It, I mean. We're all looking a bit... Well, Paul's not looking shocked, but Simon and I... Well, looking, well we're not shocked, are we? But it's just standards. a bit kind double of... Double standards. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we'd raise, and the company had said, but we've every time we've sent out a communication, which they had done, I said, and don't forget to update your address on the system because the ballot is coming. But that's not the same as saying to every store manager, sit make down sure. with every pharmacist and tell them what you've got recorded and make sure it's updated. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference in that. So there we were passive. concerned about that. In yeah, the end, it yeah. didn't matter. Um, right. But... Um, we were concerned about that. Also, what happened was, two days before the ballot period started, the company announced, if you vote no, 
we're going to launch this new thing called the Boots Joint Negotiating Committee. It will be better than all these other internal forums we've ever had. More powerful, keyword, powerful. Hate and it'll be great. So vote no and we'll give you this thing. And the, the chief executive of the company will meet with these reps six times a year. You'll be able to talk about anything to do with pharmacy. It will be fully funded and they include it as an iconography for that claim, a picture of a pile of money in their literature, which they sent to voters, which again, we weren't very happy with, but again, it didn't matter in the end. And said this, this, and we guarantee anything that's agreed in that forum, we will implement. So the company made the ballot, because technically the ballot is, do you want the PDAU or not? Mm -hmm. They made it about, here's our alternative offer and use the phrase offer. Here's, you know, here's what you get, or alternatively vote for us. So it, ironically, what happened was, we were saying, God, this is like Groundhog Day because the history of having, yeah, you yeah. know, they, they, they had an internal forum which they implemented back in 2012 when we mm, first applied mm, mm. because you, we've got this internal forum. That's why you don't need the PDAU. Mm, mm. Um, so, it's, so to us, it felt, and to pharmacists, it felt very, very similar. Mm. And we were saying, God, this is like Groundhog Day. You know, this is a, this is crazy. Mm, mm. Uh, those of you are familiar with the 1990s film. It's a classic. Rent it on all devices. Ironically... They actually announced it on Groundhog Day. No! <laughs> so, something I never thought I would do, one of our subsequent Please communications me to members had a picture of a Groundhog. Yes! Which we sent to 7,000 people at their home addresses. And, you know, we said, Sorry. this is the company's Groundhog Day proposal. But I it's not just Groundhog Day because the day they chose to launch it. Can I just it, I, I live for messages like that. I, I, I live mean, for niche 90s films references. Yes! <laughs> So, so yes, so they did that, and that that That's was. A feel. I mean, there's a question in my mind. Certainly, there's a question about if you're promising something using mm. the image of cash. Yeah. Whether that's legitimate in the process, the data quality was a problem, and and in terms of how we, in terms of how we campaigned, we obviously raised the profile generically on social media. Yeah. Like a lot of professions, people are related to a lot of you know in most professions people marry each other in the profession their kids get into the same profession you get a lot of that so because of that friends with each other that yeah kind of stuff. well they've yeah, all been yeah. the university together so there's like an alumni connection as well but because of that we were very upfront with our members saying members generically you'll know people that work at boots so pass the message on and this is why it's important to the profession yeah. not just those at boots so you know our networks were there in that sense and we've got you know twenty-eight thousand members so we've got quite a reach across mm. the profession so we did that <clears throat> but boots specifically Part of our access agreement, we agreed with the company. We didn't want people going into pharmacies while pharmacists are, uh, you know, giving information or, or caring yeah. for patients yeah. Yeah. and disrupting that. And it's difficult for us anyway because you know the the workforce is split over twenty five, mm. yeah. twenty five hundred, two and a half thousand sites. Mm. So what we agreed with the company, we sent stuff via the weekly paper bag delivery like a lot of companies they've, they've, as i understand it there's a giant warehouse in boots head office with two and a half thousand giant pigeonholes and literally physical paper that needs to go gets delivered once a week to the stores so there's that mechanism for stuff going on so we sent stuff through those red bags as they call them in the company we sent literature ourselves directly to stores we published on our own communication channels and emailed our own members and people that had registered with us to say we, we we're not your members but we support it we sent stuff via the um, appointed person running the ballot, so that actually went to people's homes. And we'd agreed that in lieu of, you know, if it was a factory, we'd be able to go into the canteen and hold a meeting with yeah. members. 
Boots have a, an internal forum, electronic forum, at which pharmacists and others are able to, to talk. And so we got access to that for one hour a day. Oh, wow. So for 33 days solid, my colleague signed on. I was authorised to as well, but he was never ill, so he didn't need to. My colleague signed on to that uh, for an hour every day and talked to pharmacists. And the company also were on it for an hour a day. Right, yeah, yeah. And then pharmacists That was the quid pro quo. We're yeah. on it for an hour a day, you're on it for an hour <clears> And so every morning we got printouts of... Which, again, the company could go and look at it any time they liked. But, you know, we got every morning a printout of the stuff that had happened in the previous 24 mm. hours, prepped our comments, and then put those on every day. So, in, in terms of meeting the organising challenge of such a disparate workforce, I mean, that sounds like a combination of using social media, the legal process, mm -hmm. and, and being very smart about getting the appointed person in place so that you could cascade messages uh, as, as widely as possible. Yeah, it was good um, to have that lead time in the end, yeah. actually, because we were able to send those messages directly. And then, and then when the ballot closed and the votes were counted... I suppose lots of people supported the company's uh, approach for a Groundhog Day revamped negotiating They were like, forward. I like that 90s film. Yeah. I appreciate the messages you're perhaps sending that, to perhaps, us. Perhaps, perhaps Bill Murray or Andy McDowell will be on the other side of the table when we go in to meet them. <laughs> and and out of a, so out of an electorate of, sort of 7,000, how many Six, people? Yeah, so 6,000. So obviously every day you also get people that have leave, left the bargaining unit yeah, and then yeah. new yeah. starters. Yeah. So the, the eligible people as the cutoff was, was 6,803. Okay. We got 3,229 votes. Sounds like more than 40% to So me. that's 47.5% of those eligible to vote voted. Excellent. Um, so that's, that's a 6% increase from last time. Yeah, it is, which is great. Yeah. And the company got 266 votes. So what that meant was... Go on, close. We had to get 50% plus one. Yeah. We actually got 92.4% of votes. So, yeah, I mean, you know, as much as I think that myself and my colleagues now have to run a campaign, fundamentally why? Because they want to be represented by a trade union and yeah. because they're not happy with their current lot Absolutely. at work. Because as, as good as we might think we are, you don't get 92% because you're good at convincing people. They inherently, as we've known for eight years, have wanted, wanted an independent trade union speaking for them at work. Wow. And we facilitated that by giving them, by never giving up and by giving them that ballot as a mechanism to achieve it. And have Boots finally kind of thrown in the towel, as it were, and said, actually, okay, all right, hands up. We, well, we've, you've got we've us now. certainly uh, exchanged correspondence. We've got a meeting in the diary, our first meeting in the diary. And we and they have said, let's put the past behind us and let's, let's go forward. Uh, and we certainly believe that. And I, I, I'll quite happily share with you what we said to them after the de-recognition ballot, which is, you know, in 10 years' time, we'd like to be celebrating a decade of award-winning, excellent employee relations. Mm. And we've said that to them again. So our intent is absolutely there. They don't have a choice but sit down and recognise us. I mean, we've got the ballot results late on, on the Monday night. On the Wednesday, we've got, you know, the PDA union is recognised for collective bargaining. So we finally got that after eight years. But we need to go and what is, sit what down with them and agree. Like? And so what part kind of, of that is, yeah. we've said, the company had made public commitments to being willing to have the chief executive meet with pharmacist representatives six times a year to having this fora that mm, things mm, would be discussed mm, mm. and you know whatever's implemented would be agreed quickly well if the company has the resources and time to get that done we say well let's have that then because whilst whilst pharmacists have rejected their idea that it be management controlled and instead it should be a meeting of of an independent uh, voice for the pharmacists and the company from our point of view there's no reason why they can't also 
honor those commitments they offered mm. and, mm. and you know give us something better than the statutory model. So for those that don't know the process, we have a six week or six working week period to agree something. If we don't agree something, the Central Arbitration Committee can uh, order uh, yeah, a structure. Can... There's a statutory model, but they could also order something that deviates from the statutory model, which we could you know, submit wow. for. So could they. I, I, it's a great story. It was a great it's story when we spoke to you last yeah. year. It's an even better story now. Sometimes the sequel <laughs> is better than the original. But but isn't it isn't it isn't it weird? Isn't it isn't it just 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 stupid that you had to do it twice? Yes. That you had to have a ballot with all the rigmarole of a forty percent threshold to get rid of a sweetheart union, and then actually you had to have a, another ballot with, as you say, virtually the a Groundhog Day situation to say, yeah, we got rid of the sweetheart union because. We want this union. Well, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, I'm in the fortunate position of being able to speak for 100% of unions that have been through this process. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, and, and the Central Arbitration Committee, in their judgment, when we talked about the bar, when we talked about our application to get recognition, yeah, and part of the company's argument at that time was, yeah, but, you know, how do you know that the people want it? The CAC said, well, there's no other reason we can see why people would vote to de-recognise the Sweetheart Union other than to have the PDA union in place. Mm. The company and nobody else has offered any alternative as to why people would have voted for that. So it was in, you know, it's, it's apparent that's why they voted. So without wanting to sound at all arrogant, we always believed we would win mm. because it's, it's the second part of the same question. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the only risk would have been voter fatigue, yeah. Or like confusion over the process, but we yeah. made sure people knew the process and what was happening. So we always thought we were going to win. But, you know, the fact the company result was so poor from their point of view, I mean, we, we thought shocking, maybe yeah. with all their results, and this is a multi-billion pound global corporation, yeah. ends up with such a, such a few votes for their proposition with some very senior people in that enterprise putting their personal repu uh, yeah, reputations yeah. on the line yeah. for it. You know, that, I mean, that they lost significantly, but we always thought we were going to win. And we said, we actually say that, you know, the law should be changed, that when you do the first de it should be, we want to de-recognise this sweetheart union because we want this yeah. other union yeah. Yeah, yeah. or unions. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that yeah. should be there one be, vote. Yeah, you should have the ability to de-recognise and you should have the ability to de-recognise for a particular, I mean... Would always say de recognise the sweetheart union on yeah, yeah. to get a, a, you know another one, but but that should be an option. What what harm is there in ha having that? Because in effect, it denied those people their representation at work for eight nine months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, which you got the, for an you extra got the, eight or nine months, we yeah. could have been at this place we're in now. Yeah, last summer. So that's it. The only change, the the associated change with that is under the rec under the de recognition. The applicants, the individuals, didn't have a legal right to communicate with the workforce. Yeah. Right. Yes. But we, I mean, we agree. I mean, that's a legislative drafting oversight, but that would need tidying up as well. But it should be one ballot should be enough. It should be. I mean, it's it. You know, if we're we're working smart, if we're having smart government, smart decision making, it surely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. listeners, what do you think? Here's your poser for this week's this week's episode: the CAC rules. And I know everyone listening to this podcast will absolutely get know these inside out and back, yes. back to the front. Yes. Should a ballot for derecognition actually enable recognition of an independent union in the same in the same vote? Let's okay. know what you think. Yeah. Email us at info at unions twenty one uk or, or tweet you, us. Yes, can tweet us at unions twenty one. So, so boots bargaining unit of just short seven thousand. 
but the PTA membership now stands at what twenty eight thousand. So, so what's happening in the the rest of your membership? What are the what are the trends? I mean, you, I think you, you're still growing, aren't you? Yeah, we're, so, absolutely, we're still growing, and and you know, essentially, we've got two and a half thousand members in boots. Realistically, you're unlikely to have got 100% of those people bothering to vote. There are yeah. humans after all. Yeah. So that probably means there's a thousand Boots pharmacists that just voted for us who aren't currently our members. Yeah. Yeah. There's a residual yeah. in the Sweetheart Union who may be changing. So we we'll certainly expect to be growing in Boots. But we're growing across the piece. So our strategy always was in community pharmacy to go for the, the biggest employer and then work our way. And we're already talking to other pharmacy chains because of course you can agree anything on a voluntary basis yeah so and we'd rather and um, we would boots would rather have, have done this as a positive way and now be eight years into an, an effective relationship with them instead of having a history of eight years of battle so we're looking at that recognition across the piece and for the union it's um it's an extra chapter because as i say we're only 10 years old as a union mm. so getting into this negotiation with a with a major employer is fresh territory for us not for myself and not for colleagues but for um, organisationally, organisation, yeah. it's a new chapter mm. for us. That's really good. It's a, it's a step up in what we represent our members and how we help them. And do you find that the, the clinical nature of the the work your members do it gives it a very distinctive, you know, there's a, a very distinctive profile for the PDAU. There's a very distinctive set of priorities in terms of the services you offer members. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a professional, uh, as a health professionals union, a lot of what we do is about patient safety and clinical standards. It's, it's about increasing the profession. Mm. Mm. I'm the only member of the union, courtesy of my job, who's not a pharmacist. You know, everybody else is a pharmacist and it's about pharmacy. So a lot of the work, we've got a safer pharmacies charter, we've got a strategy on, on um, wider than medicines, it's called, which is about making better use of pharmacists and, you know, how we use pharmacies as part of the NHS as they should be to relieve pressure on, on hospitals. And that's where we spend a lot of our time. Yeah. But of course... For pharmacists who want to have that perspective, they want an organisation representing them, improving pharmacy, making sure pharmacists are getting their say in the health sector. But also as individual workers, they want fair treatment at work, they want job security, they want equality and professional respect in the workplace. So, you know, we're doing both those things uh, in tandem. Fantastic. So exciting. And so fun. I mean, you know, I, I think I said this when you came before, Paul, and I'll say this again. It is just such a good, positive story to have of a relatively new union that's managed to get union recognition for 7,000 workers in pharmacists in, in boots in the largest employer of pharmacists in the country in the largest employer, yeah. you know and that is like should be even more headline making I think than what it, you've I mean you've had some good press mm. but like really the, it's a huge success story. It's a huge success story because it affects because it, it does two things. It, it affects those workers individually and collectively within their workplace, but also it offers unions a, a kind of a, a case study, an idea of how they might be able to do some of these kind of processes. And it's been such a long time since we've had a really big recognition kind of victory. It's nice to have a little bit of hope. Yeah, and we've 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 said, and I've said to others, I've been to see a few, but any any you know independent trade union out there in the UK that wants to have a chat about how we did it in more detail off record, um, you know, happy yeah. to have that conversation with anybody. Or you could come along to the Unions Twenty One conference where Paul will be doing a case study on how they did it. Yes, yes I will. Paul did agree that 
before we recorded, but I just thought, actually, I'm going to start putting this now in all the podcasts. And like, just... literally before? Yeah, like, yeah, five minutes before. But I think I might just do that now. Anytime we interview someone, I might just say, and thank you for agreeing to do this, and they can't back out. Well, uh, listen, I think, I mean, you're talking about case study. I just think you're being, you're being too modest, right? Groundhog Day, right? PDAU, the movie. Oh, my Why God. not? <laughs> to sign your face to sign. Think Johnny Vegas is available to play me. That's the question. <laughs> and on that note, listeners. Paul, thanks very much for spending time with us. And Thank good you. luck for your conference, which I know is just coming up as well. Cheers. Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just such a good story, Becky. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard it before, obviously, when we're talking to Paul before we start recording, but listening to it again, it, I mean, I just don't think enough is made of the achievement that it really is. I don't know where to start with what I love about this story. I think there is the fact that the union failed in its first try round, didn't succeed, tried again, how they engaged with members, their kind of military precision on the campaign, the fact that members really wanted this, it, and that was clear by the result as well probably as non-members and it to me obviously as an organizer it sort of goes to make me think you can't be widely felt deeply felt winnable visible when thinking I, about the campaigns you run uh, I, I i agree it's not a question of, of low-lying fruit necessarily this was not low-lying fruit but you, no. you've got you've got to have a clear right there's got to be a clear synergy hasn't there between what you can do what resources you have what the people want you've got to go to where people are rather than where you want them to be and your ability to, to deliver for them yeah exactly i think this is a great story we need to be shouting about it from the rooftops and congratulating the pdau on it because it uh, is fantastic absolutely and we hope we hope uh, our, our colleagues in the pda you have a great conference which is coming up this weekend i was just about to say and as if by magic they've got their conference on so happy conference to them with that fantastic victory and still on the theme of democracy at work good hr are at work there's been a really important study from the etui this week hasn't there becky i'll I tell you what simon that was smooth that was a smooth thank you. thank yeah, you yeah 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 that, that's why you do what you do um yeah so i mean obviously there's a load of stuff that's that's come out this week and it would be really easy for us to just talk about brexit talk about our brexit here mm. and do mm. all of that yeah. Mm, yeah yeah but i think for our own sanity we should probably take a step back <laughs> but not before not before letting any listeners who don't yet know that we do have a brexit toolkit a guide to what unions and employers should be doing to meet the challenge of brexit in whatever form or fashion it it, it takes place or even if it's just a, a spectre that doesn't eventually take take place and you can download it from our website which is www.unions21.org.uk search for the brexit toolkit but back um, to the European Trade Union Institute. Yes. So the ETUI, the European Trade Union Institute, has just published their benchmarking of Working Europe 2019, which is quite exciting. If you head over to their website, you can download yourself a copy. And I just think it's worth signposting people to it. I'm in the middle of writing our report of, uh, for the Commission for Collective Voice uh, out 21st of May at our conference and I've been looking at this publication amongst some others and it's just a, a just it's a really good read the report this year calls for action to stimulate investment reforms to fiscal rules to allow more kind of stabilizing economies and securing sustainable growth and it's 
continue to highlight the problems around inequality and insecurity through deregulation and again it's kind of calling for a revi revival of collective bargaining which is also what the OECD have been talking about as well you know we're going into this new transition ONS have just told us that 1.5 million jobs are likely to be lost through automation we know that jobs will be lost, but also jobs will be gained. And it's how we manage all of this change and transition through something, I think, which is going to be an upheaval that we have never experienced before in quite a fashion and such a global scale as well. And actually, really at the heart of it, trade unions are going to be more important than ever to make sure this is done in a just fashion that it represents the views of workers within all of these different industries and collective bargaining is the way to do that so it was really good to see that paper just as i'm finishing off our first draft well it, it's kind of it's kind of a good cop bad cop situation isn't it you've got the bad cop of the office of national statistics saying whoa 1.5 million jobs are going to be lost to automation and then you've got the good cop if you like of the etui saying do you know what actually if you if you have collective worker voice if you have democracy at work if you have an empowered workforce uh, a respected workforce this does not have to be a a, a, a bad thing uh, and as becky said you can you can access the etu uh, I report from their website, which is www.etui.org. Yeah. So we've got the ONS, we've had the ETUI. To, to carry on our, our, our glossary of acronyms, the European TUC, the ETUC published a report this week, which, uh, which basically said across eight EU member states, wages are still lower than they were in 2008. Hmm. Wait a week. <laughs> yeah. What a surprise. So, and, and in, in one of the in one of the responses to to the report, which said, you know, there's a lot of concern, and you know, about this in in legislatures across uh, across Europe, MPs, and I'm not sure the, what the MPs of which country were being referred to, were, were referred to as, as being concerned but clueless, uh, which. <laughs> I mean, it probably, it probably has a bit of a resonance for us, for some of our listeners at the, the present point in time. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just put a full stop there, shall we? <laughs> uh, perhaps we should, but not before we express concern about uh, about Waterstones and the owners of Waterstones, who this week said we can't afford to pay our staff the London living wage or the living wage outside outside of London which kind of is a really worrying message, uh, I, I think. And uh, it's, it's easy to dismiss it, dismiss it and just say, listen, well, poof, if you can't afford to pay people properly, then you shouldn't actually, you shouldn't actually be in business. But of course, it, it does focus in attention on the fact that there is a gap between, say, the national living wage and the, and the, and the living wage. And is that, in that gap, is there the tipping point? And I, I think we need to dig a bit of deep, dig a bit deeper. Uh, you know, and I really, I, you know, really hope I have the opportunity to discuss this face to face, perhaps with the owners of Waterstones uh, wearing a different hat about about exactly why they feel under, under this sort of pressure. But it's not it's not good news. There should be a basic wage floor. It should be a wage floor that you can live on. And yeah. if employers aren't able to pay it or say they're not able to, to pay it. It's you well, know, we need to ask why. I, and I, not because the floor is too high. That's for sure. Well, I, I've got three words. Have a word. Because like. I, I just fundamentally think that a company the size of Waterstones most likely can can pay <laughs> those sorts of the salaries. But I also think this is attention for us within the trade union movement to think about things like living the living wage badges and various campaigns to bring this to people's attention. There is a, a real difference between running a campaign and having a badge and actually having effective collective bargaining mechanisms whereby all of these things 
can be sustainably looked at and constantly revised. My concern when we look at this with in, in a one-off scenario is you get a badge or you have this campaign, great, but everybody who knows me would say my my you know two most used words is what's next. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 we need to find ways to have real meaningful dialogue on all of these sorts of things and just to kind of go back to the conversation that we were having before is is that our society is changing through the technological revolution that we're going through right and actually i think responsible employers good employers recognize that and are willing to engage with unions to work through all of these sorts of things and one would hope that Waterstones would seek out the relevant trade union, you know, talk to them about this and kind of move towards a better situation for those people who work there, not just now, but in the long term as well. Oh, I can sense a hornet's nest come and buzz, buzzing up and coming to envelop us. But don't envelop us here. What you should do is come to the Unions 21 conference, where all of this and more will be discussed with a series of expert panels, workshop sessions and plenary sessions as well. You can register for the conference by visiting www.unions21.org.uk. And it's on the 21st of May in London, and we hope to see you there. It's called The Future of Collective Voice. We're going to be looking at a whole range of things, especially what is voice for the 21st century. We're looking at digital transformation in unions. We've also got three separate sessions for our unions in private sector and public sector. And then we're looking at the future of work, what it should be the policymakers and unions response to the change that's being undertaken. Yes, indeed. Meanwhile, if you like what you've heard, if you haven't liked what you've heard, if you want to contribute to the debate, you can email us at info at unions21.org.uk. You can tweet us at unions21. And I, can I just also give a special shout out to Brian Morton from the Royal College of Nursing for sending some feedback to me yesterday about sound levels, which we are looking at. Uh, but he said he liked the podcast very much. So thank you very much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> now, we, thank you, Brian. Your comments are much appreciated. And we, we always strive to improve the technical quality of what we're doing. So we do really, honestly, we do. But it will get better the more people that listen. So That's if you true. share... Share, subscribe, like, enjoy. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been our pleasure to have your company, listeners, for this episode of the Unions 21 podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our, with our next stellar, stunning episode. Uh, you never know, we might even have a resolution to the Brexit debate by then. Who knows? <laughs> and on that note, listeners, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>